Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Good to have you here. Kurt Mortensen, Podcast 413, Maximize Your Influence. As we talk about, does multitasking work? Are you sure? How I'm reprogramming college students to be more persuasive and talk a little bit more about association triggers and the blunder, which goes to Coca-Cola. Hope everyone's having an incredible week achieving your goals, becoming more persuasive, making more money, being more successful, fill in the blanks. I wish that upon you. And of course, we all know influence is a big piece of all of those. So pat yourself on the back for being here, mastering the skills, improving your life. I know we should have learned it in school, but we're learning it here. We're getting you more tools for your influence toolbox. As many of you know, I do teach college courses on persuasion and public speaking. So I spent a lot of this week reprogramming college students on how to be more persuasive, how to give that persuasive presentation, how to get the job, because they are taught to be anti-suasive. I know I should say dissuasion, but I like anti-suasion better. Because they're taught in their papers and their writing and their rhetoric to be all logical and sources and statistics. And I'm all about that. Those are good things. But that's only a part of persuasion. You have to interact. You have to connect. There's likability. There's trust. There's emotional intelligence. There's those soft skills. And the key thing, which we talk about all the time, the emotional side of persuasion, those subconscious triggers, it feels right. I like them. I don't like them. I trust them. I don't trust them. Man, you get an HR professional in a room alone, off the record, and they'll admit, they'll know within a minute or two if they're going to hire this person or even give them a second chance. I know it's not fair. Everyone knows it's not fair, but that's our caveman brain, our amygdala, reptilian brain, whatever you want to call it, that can help or hurt your ability to persuade, that can hijack your brain in a good way and, of course, in a negative way. So take that to heart. We love our logic. But we have to have the emotional side, the feeling side. It has to feel right. There are plenty of times you should have said, yes, the numbers look good. It was a no-brainer, but it just didn't feel right. Whether that be a second date, a job interview, or saying yes to a salesperson. So with that, let's jump into our geeky, scarly article of the week. The fallacy of multitasking comes from Psychology Today, which, by the way, kudos to them, making Maximize Your Influence one of the top 20 podcasts. Dr. Comer in the Journal of Human Communication and Psychonomics. So one of the key points that comes right out and says the human brain cannot multitask effectively from a psychoneuroimmunological, I think I got that one right, and evolutionary perspective. They said our brain just can't handle it. That multitasking lowers productivity, slows task completion, decreases task quality, creates stress, and leads to burnout. Wow. And we all thought we could pull this off. I mean, we've all heard it in the job interviews. Are you a good multitasker? Can you juggle multiple projects? Can you do multiple tasks all at once? And we all say yes. I mean, we, we feel so busy. There's so many things we need to do. We feel like we have to multitask. Now, is it a big deal to listen to personal development while I lift weights or work out? 
Probably not. But if these are high cognitive activities, it's very difficult for the brain to multitask. So first of all, they define multitasking as working on multiple tasks simultaneously. Uh, Okay, duh. Got that. Switching back and forth rapidly among tasks. Okay. And performing multiple tasks in rapid succession. So they go on to say that the human brain is not wired to multitask. That based on evolution, our brain is wired to monotask. And so some of the studies that were cited here is that multitasking is not feasible with human cognitive functioning. That only 2.4% of participants were found to be able to multitask effectively. So it looks like some people can. And of course, your brain is, well, I can. Well, can you? Let's keep going. Another study, 2013, reported that people who think they're good at multitasking are actually not good at it. Okay. And the next one, the human brain can only focus on one thing at a time. (laughs) So you can try to multitask, but research shows that it lowers productivity. We talked about that. So remember the negative size. More errors, lower productivity. You don't get it done as fast. And remember the other two, stress and burnout. And that comes from multiple studies but we keep multitasking. Now, why can't we do this? Well, they go back to say that our brains go back to our survival days, that our brains can only do one thing, and back then it was detecting threats. And that memory processing takes short and long-term neural processing. Meaning when you're really focused on something, you're using most of your brain, the short and long-term, you're gauged, and your neural pathways are lighting up, But when you're multitasking, you're not really using the whole brain, your full potential. That's why they say it takes longer and the performance is not as good. So when you introduce a new task, maybe that ding or the buzz from the text message that interrupts you, your current memory recalls abandon, and you have to start the entire process again with your brain to get back on track. It takes time, effort, and energy. So when you have these interruptions, you're trying to multitask, which they call memory dysregulation, leads to greater deficiency, error, and slowness. I think I'm a multitasker, but I guess I need to change it up. Because when you think about it, if it's taking you longer, you're having more errors, the quality goes down, maybe we shouldn't multitask. We focus on the task at hand. So my early mentor, Jim Rohn, said, wherever you are, be there. Focus on what you're doing now. So they go into what do you do about it. Okay, well, I think, first of all, let me add, just being aware that Maybe your brain is not wired. I mean, less than 3% of the people can do this. And again, I think it depends on the tasks. If you're driving and listening to the radio or personal development, or you're jogging and talking on the phone, probably not a big deal. We're talking about those very important, high cognitive tasks that take a lot of mental energy. So here's the ones they talk about. Stop doing it, okay? Prioritize, focus on one task at a time, complete it, then move on. And that's just a good time management technique. All your emails at once, all your texts at once, all your paperwork at once, whatever it is. Because if you're doing email or text 10, 20 times a day, that's just not good time management. Limit your distraction. That might be turning off your computer, turning off your phone, especially those times where you need the high mental memory functions that get your cognitions firing on all cylinders. Here's one for those that manage. Implement practices that decrease the pressure for people to feel that they need to multitask. Let them know it's okay not to have their cell phones in the meeting. They don't have to return the texts. Everyone puts their cell phones in a basket. Whatever you need to do, shut the laptops, give me 10 minutes, and maybe even encourage people to close their doors 
while working on a project. You might think they're napping. Hopefully they're not. Hopefully they're in working on the project, getting it done faster with fewer errors. So bottom line, by avoiding multitasking, your results will improve, your productivity will increase, and you'll be less stressed, and you'll find greater work and life satisfaction. Believe it or not, kind of interesting, that's how the brain works. So be very careful on those tasks that require mm, a lot of mental energy, a lot of mental effort. Don't multitask. Get rid of those distractions. There you have it, our geeky scholarly article, which brings us to our persuasion blunder. Homer. Don't, don't, don't. Now, some of you might think this is a ninja, but from what I've seen, most of the comments are not positive. Now, Grant Online, people are more likely to put in a negative comment than a positive comment. This is Coke. We've used them as blunders before. This is their new Coke coffee mixture. So it's Coke, carbonation, and coffee all in one. They have three flavors, dark blend, vanilla, and caramel. Now, we've talked about the when Coke came out with new Coke, and that failed. That's a whole nother thing. But think about it. I mean, they're doing market surveys here. They're testing it. But we do know in blind taste tests and surveys and focus groups that what you get might not be reality. In fact, I remember a focus group on a, it was a kitchen appliance. Everyone's like, that's cool. That's great. Like, would you buy it? They're like, yeah. And that product failed. You know, 80% of products fail, they say. And they went back to everybody and then nobody had bought it. <laughs> but they said it was cool because they've tried this before. Coca-Cola came out with black, which is coffee flavored. Pepsi did. It was Pepsi Kona. And so they've tried this before. Let me just read some of the things that people have said. This drink isn't good. I mean, it isn't horrible. I managed to drink the whole can, but it made me wish I wasn't drinking just Coca-Cola or just coffee instead. This makes me think the folks at Coca-Cola are rather pretentious or borderline delusional. <laughs> now, Coke said, uh, give them their shout out. This is a truly unique hybrid innovation that will pioneer a new category we're calling refreshment coffee. <laughs> of course, they have good things to say. Here's another comment. Well, drinking a six-pack of regular Coke won't make you feel great. Drinking too many of these new Cokes with coffee will land you in the hospital due to 69 milligrams of caffeine and found in a 12-ounce can. Now, that's about the same as Mountain Dew Kickstarter. Put it in perspective. I think Red Bull has about 113. Monster has 120. Rockstar, 180. So maybe it's kind of in the middle there, but it depends how you handle your caffeine. An eight-ounce coffee at Starbucks is around 95 milligrams of caffeine. So you're going to have to decide if this is mistaken or not. A few more comments. As the collaboration of beans and bubbles hit my lips and then my tongue, I felt my heart drop. It was astoundingly awful. <laughs> I'm left to wonder how this product in the current state was allowed to leave the Coca-Cola laboratories. No one was brave enough to speak up? This other one, it was disgusting. I imagine this is what it would taste like to drink soda syrup straight from the box. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. I mean, everyone's made blunders, mistakes. Both Pepsi and Coke have tried to come out with clear colas, black salt, white mustard. When Taco Bell had black tacos, they were called blackjacks. Green ketchup from Heinz. Cheetos lip balm, watermelon Oreos, and Lifesaver soda. <laughs> so there you have it. Maybe you love it. I don't know. It was probably 10 to 1 negative versus positive. But maybe that's your thing. Maybe you're mixing it together for years and not telling anyone. All right, let's go to listener email. Oh, boy. 
This is Steve from Las Vegas. It says, hey, Kurt, I'm a proud member of Influence University. All right. Thanks, Steve. And for those who want to know more about that, go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. You can get our contact information, our products and services, the free new edition of Maximum Influence. Just pick up a little shipping handling and take your Persuasion IQ assessment. There we go. There's our plug. All right, Steve. He said, you talked about red last week. And I'm in Vegas and there's a lot of red in the casinos. Does that mean anything? I remember, I think it was last year, you talked about colors, smells, subconscious triggers. I was trying to explain this to my friend who was visiting, but I couldn't remember all of them. Could you remind us? Sure, Steve, let's talk about those subconscious triggers. Kind of goes with our theme today. And of course, you can go to the archives that maximize your influence and pull it off. We did a whole podcast on that. But let's talk about a few of those things. Now, what triggered this for Steve is that we talked about red last week, how red influences investor behavior. But you have to understand with subconscious triggers, they're not universal. I mean, some are, but not necessarily. For example, the color red. Red to an investor is different than a doctor, which is different than a police officer, which is different in an accountant. It's just different, which is different in different cultures. Remember last week we talked about China where red represents prosperity. You know, we have red lights. It means different things at different times to different people. So Subconscious triggers are powerful, but they're not always necessarily universal. It could depend on personality and, of course, occupation and even culture. I mean, even to a restaurant owner, reds and yellows stimulate appetites, but that's for fast food restaurants. High-red restaurants have darker colors. So is red danger, fun, success? So let's talk about those subconscious triggers. Let's talk about those casinos. But do understand, a lot of them can be more universal than others, but they're not always 100%. For example, if you look at a flag of a country... People interpret it in different ways. During COVID pandemic, the mask meant different things to different people. A comfort pet. Some people love pet. It's their best friend. It's their child. Some people hate animals. I mean, it's a different feeling. Politics. Some people trust their politicians. Many people just use mention it. They get tense. A hamburger. For some people, they love the taste. They love it. For some people, no, they're vegan. So it's interesting One thing can have two very different meanings to two very different people. So with that said, let's talk about some of those things that we've seen in casinos. I've trained casinos. They don't always own up to these, but let's talk about a few of them. I don't remember seeing a lot of red in casinos, but they are in the carpet, very loud, very obnoxious. They don't want you looking down. I mean, you'd never put that type of carpet in your home. Check out the carpet next time you go in. Again, it's not something you want to look at because they don't want you looking down. They want you looking at the the lights, the sounds, the people winning. Every time you see a sound, they think they're winning a lot of money. That's done for a reason. Some say, and they do deny this, that they add oxygen into the air. They filter the air. So if it rains outside, you don't want to go outside. Because everything in a casino, everything's in the middle. That's why I don't like checking in a casino. It takes forever to park, get it, and check in. Everything kind of in the middle. Everything you need there. There's no reason ever to leave a casino. There are no clocks. The dealers are taught not to wear watches. You never really know what time it is. And the games are programmed, especially electronic games, through these near misses. Oh, you almost. If I just got one more thing, if this would have happened, I would have won. Near misses is a big part of keeping you going, keeping you close. That's just human nature one-on-one. Of course, they're giving you food and drinks and reciprocity. They have your little card you're putting in. And even though you're losing, you're getting points. And so you still feel like you're winning. (laughs) If you're probably winning too much, they're going to give you some alcohol. So you're not thinking quite as straight. 
they have this kind of hypnotic music. It's kind of looping. It's in the background. It's just there. It's kind of hypnotic. Kind of puts you into a trance. And like I mentioned, everything's there that you need. And it's almost kind of like a maze. Department stores do this too. There's not a lot of straight walkways. I mean, it's kind of diagonal. You have to go here. You have to move here. It's so easy to go in. You look at places like Caesar's Palace. So easy to get. All these escalators going in, but getting out, finding a door can be difficult at times. Of course, they're going to deny this, but, you know, you take it for what it's worth. They have you turn in your cash. Hmm, for chips? Yeah. Putting $100 on the table is a lot harder than a chip. It's just a chip. Even though they have the same value, they have different meanings. There's also the, the lights, the noise, the music, the winning. We talked a little about that. So there's a lot of sounds. I mean, those are just a few of those, but those are all triggers. I mean, maybe only a couple of them will work on you, but that's all they need. And they know the research. When you walk in those doors, how much money on average they're going to win from you. They make it easy. They make it simple. They know what they're doing. The very high ceilings. That's another one. That's one that you can use. The higher the ceilings, we think bigger. We think we're going to win more. We think we're going to be more successful. When ceilings are low, we don't think that way. That's one you can think about when you're doing presentations, the type of room you're in. A lot of people don't think about room and temperature and color and seating arrangements, eliminating distractions, or adding distractions if that's what you need to do, depending on what your goal is. But that all matters. A lot of times you just show up to the room without thinking about it. But just like a casino, the room you're in, your office, where you're negotiating, where you're influencing, it matters. Your environment, your surroundings, the seating arrangements. Is it the right temperature? Have you created the right environment, just like casinos, to be more influential? There you have it, Steve. Hopefully that answers your questions. You guys understand those subconscious triggers? They work. That's the emotional side of persuasion. It just feels right. I feel like I'm going to win. I feel like I'm going to be successful is all part of that process. Now, remember, subconscious triggers aren't 100%. Now, some are closer than others. But other people define things in different ways that you have to understand in the influence process. So there you have it. Be aware of those subconscious triggers. It's one of the 12 laws of persuasion. It could be anything from a smell. We know that people are around the smell of a cinnamon store. Cinnamon rolls are more likely to donate to a charity. We know that negative smells during a political rally hurt the evaluations of the candidate. So there's a positive negative. We know that most people wear too much perfume and cologne. It hurts. But when it's just right in a nightclub, they're actually rated more attractive. I mean, smells are powerful. When you smell something, instant feeling. I mean, the studies show that people shop longer, buy more, are more attentive when they're driving, are more relaxed during an MRI exam. And then pleasant fragrances do help in the persuasion process. We know music, type of music, the, the volume, the beat of the music makes a big difference. I mean, music is amazing. I mean, there is a correlation between music and comprehension and recall. You slow down the music, people shop longer. You increase the tempo, increases happiness. And it does change mood in consumers. I mean, there's power there. There's symbols. Now, careful, you know, skull and crossbones, we know what that means. Gold symbolized wealth and success, even though it's not even close to being the most precious metal. There's religious symbols. There's political symbols. Even when people see the symbol of a credit card, people buy more. And of course, we talked about last week, a little bit this week, color. Color can help or hurt, but colors do trigger feelings and make a difference in the persuasion process. 
So think about the triggers around you. Think about your office. Think about what's behind you in Zoom, the background you're using, your voice, your surroundings. It all matters. It has to feel right. How close you stand to somebody, the way you smell, the way you shake hands, all part of the process. So take something that you learned today, apply it, use it. It'll make a huge difference in your success and in your life. Add more tools to your influence toolbox. Also want to give you a little bonus. I want you to take your presentation IQ. Are you persuasive when you present? Are you just informing? Are you influential? Are you just communicating? Are you convincing? It makes a huge difference with what you're able to do. So take your 10-question presentation IQ at presentationiq.com. Helps me with my research. Helps you figure out what you're doing well and some things you can improve on. And just for doing that, here's the gift. You get my training, my videos on how to create, how to deliver the perfect persuasive presentation. There's a template to follow step-by-step. You go through it. You'll get it for free just for taking your presentation IQ. Go to presentationiq.com, take it, and I'll send you your bonus, the perfect persuasive presentation training, and you'll become more influential. So do it, make it happen, master these skills, and go out and persuade with power.